Today, I'll be talking about the film Bros, starring Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane, the buzz in Hollywood over negotiations currently being made for a Gladiator 2 movie, and a Harry Potter TV series for HBO Max. Also, the new Hunger Games prequel is set to be released later this year. I've got the details, so let's get into it! friends, I'm Amanda Rose, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Film Folly, where we take a deeper dive into movies by talking about memorable scenes and themes within a film. I like to explore the emotional journey we take when watching movies and have meaningful conversation. It's always an experience, and I'm here to talk about it, but as always, the listener is invited to participate. Send me a voice memo or email to filmfollypodcast at gmail.com and I'll feature you in an episode. You can also leave your thoughts on whatever movie I'm covering on Facebook and Instagram at Film Folly Podcast or on Twitter at Film Folly Pod. As mentioned in the previous episode of Film Folly, we'll be covering Bros this week. The original release date was on September 30th of 2022, but now it's available on Peacock. So if you haven't seen it already, I hope you do, because I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was great. It was funny. It was sweet. It had teaching moments. It also just made me laugh hysterically out loud several times. Uh, It was really a great film. And to give you a little bit of an overview of what the the film is, I'm going to Try and not do as much of a play-by-play this week because I do really want people to see the film. And I feel like the last episodes I've been giving a lot of detail about um, many aspects of the film. And I will be just talking about memorable scenes and themes um, within the film. And I'll give you a much shorter overview of what the film's about. Um, But I really urge you to see Bros. It was such a great film. So to start it off, I wanted to give you just a little bit of information about the film. So Universal Pictures presented uh, this romantic comedy, and it's the first romantic comedy from a major studio about two gay men, maybe, possibly, probably, stumbling towards love. The two main characters are very busy and often avoid commitment, or they just haven't found the right someone who's worth it. From the ferocious comedic mind of Billy Eichner and the hit-making brilliance of filmmakers Nicholas Stoller and Judd Apatow comes the movie Bros, as we discussed, a smart, swoony, and heartfelt comedy about finding sex, love, romance amidst the madness. Our two main characters of the film, I'll give a little bit of backstory on each of them, or just a little bit of a description, so I, so you know who I'm talking about when I refer to these characters when I'm going over some memorable moments in the film. So our main character is Bobby Lieber, played by Billy Eichner. And Bobby Lieber is a famous podcaster and personality in the film that starts the world's first LGBTQ plus museum and struggles approaching prospective donors to finance the museum. He's a person who seems to also struggle with finding meaningful relationships in the gay dating scene. And our other character in the film, who is Bobby Lieber's romantic interest, his name is Aaron, who's played by Luke McFarlane. And Aaron's a muscular heartthrob of a gay man and is out, but still seems to struggle with internalized homophobia. 
Aaron hates his job as an estate planning attorney who handles wills and trusts for rich people and struggles to find the confidence to follow his dreams of being a chocolatier. And I love this movie for several reasons, but as I mentioned before, it has a lot of teaching moments as well as it's just fun. There's a lot of really great sex scenes that end up being pretty funny as well. And and there's a lot of really sweet moments too. Like there, um, there's moments where I'm just like, oh, you know, you can't help but, but feel really touched by their relationship, especially at the end. And all that to say, towards the beginning of the film, there was a memorable moment, I thought, I don't know why, but it really, this line really stuck with me. And I'm not going to quote it word for word here, but um, Billy Eichner, who plays Bobby, is with his friends. And um, he says something that I thought was a really great line to really kind of think about and sit with for a minute. But he he says something to the effect of, uh, and again, it's not word for word, but he says, Love is love is love is meant to trick straight people to think we're just like you, but gay relationships are different than straight relationships. And I thought that was really interesting. And I'll say that again to just kind of hone in on it. He says the mantra that that is often uh, repeated in uh, by allies and uh, within the LGBTQ plus uh, community, but it's the the slogan, love is love is love. He says it's meant to trick straight people to think we're just like you, but gay relationships are different than straight relationships. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out why that really made me think a lot. And I think it's because I feel like it almost seems like the LGBTQ plus community, it almost seems like they had to romanticize their cause in order to get straight people on board for equality. And I'd love to know what you guys think about that too. Especially people within the LGBTQ plus community, uh, you know, with, with what um, Bobby says in the film, I'd love to get your um, insight into that and, and what that means to you. You know, when he said that, did you relate to it? And if so, you know, why? What What is it about it that um, makes you feel like you can relate to that, that idea? Some of my impressions of the main character, Bobby, is that he seems to feel very empty and hollow about uh, the sex life of gay men in particular, and seems to feel as though he doesn't find a lot of meaning in it, at least for himself. There's uh, a scene where he is on he's on Grinder and he's looking for a hookup and he just almost seems annoyed by the whole process and you know he messages someone and he's just like hey hey you know it, the back and forth um, text message is just like really transactional almost it's just very just giving details about themselves and what they're looking for. Um, Bobby ends up going over to one of the guy's apartment and, um, you know, they end up having awkward sex, sort of. (laughs) And uh, it just seems really unfulfilling, uh, at least on the part of, of Bobby. And so he seems very annoyed and bored with his dating world in particular and and maneuvering within the gay man's dating world. He's at dinner with a group of his friends and there's a couple that uh, is sitting at the table and his friends who are the couple say that they are starting a, a thruple um, with some other people and and they were really excited about that but Bobby just kind of rolls his eyes and is kind of annoyed by the whole thing and says that you know he he just doesn't trust people so that's another kind of theme with uh, the Bobby character is that he has a hard time trusting 
And one thing that Billy Eichner seems to do a lot in this film is almost at times um, kind of makes fun of um, the LGBTQ plus community a little bit with some of his commentary. And it's really funny. A little later in the film, Bobby goes out with uh, some of his friends. He meets up with some of his, his friends, it seems like, at a gay club. And he's sipping on his cocktail and just kind of looking around again kind of bored and annoyed by the whole situation but he's there he's participating and he meets Aaron and they kind of they hit it off a little bit they find each other interesting and intriguing but Aaron seems to kind of just disappear at times and Bobby gets annoyed like, hey, I thought we were having a conversation and then he just kind of disappears all of a sudden. And But nonetheless, Aaron's intrigued by Bobby and Bobby's intrigued by Aaron. They later start to message each other and even in their text messages, they seem uh, playful and fun and you can tell right away even through the text exchanges, that it seems much more meaningful. And you get a, a, a comparison when Bobby's on Grinder earlier in the film, and it's just so transactional in its communication. There's no personableness to it. But with Aaron and the text messages he's having with Aaron, it's it, you can tell it's more meaningful. It's more lively. It's intriguing. It's fascinating you know they they kind of are they're intrigued by each other and so they end up agreeing to go out on a date and there's this one scene that I thought was really fun where Bobby now this is probably primarily just me because (laughs) because I am uh, I have like a bee phobia but I thought it was really cute when Bobby freaks out about a bee. They're walking down the street, him and Aaron, and there's a bee that starts kind of like buzzing around Bobby and he starts to freak out and and Aaron's there like trying to help him. And I was like, oh, I just, I really, I really relate to um the whole bee attacking him kind of thing. I'm like, oh, that would be so me. I Although I'd probably freak out any, even more because I'm more like get up, run around in circles and, and scream in a very high-pitched manner. <laughs> so that's kind of my reaction to bees. Although I will say on a personal note, I'm okay with honeybees. They tend to keep to themselves and I'm all about saving the honeybees. But it's more mostly like hornets, wasps, uh, you know, yellow jackets, those kinds of assholes that I hate. So <laughs> I call them assholes. There's a difference between a honeybee and an asshole. So anyways, moving on. So they're they're um they end up going on a date and it's kind of an all day date and they go to a movie and and all kinds of things and a couple days later they end up having sex and it's really funny how it's kind of a funny sex scene I will say because um they're like hitting each other they're finding out like you know what kind of like turns them on and stuff like that and they're like hitting each other and but in a playful way it's not like very hard and (laughs) it's just kind of funny and and um but really really cute at the same time and you know after everything's said and done and they've had their sexy time together there's such a really cute scene and it's the what I call the pillow talk scene um after that and they just kind of sit and they talk and they're just really cute and and they're Aaron's like oh I really like your chest and and uh Billy starts to ask uh Aaron some questions and Aaron confides in Billy that you know he hates his job and he really just it's the job is so depressing for him and it's just not what he wants to do with his life. And Bobby asks him like sincerely, like, what, what do you want to do? Like, have you ever had anything in mind? And 
Aaron doesn't want to really tell him at first. Like you can tell he's a little embarrassed or whatever. And, and he says, well, when I was a kid, I really liked, you know, designing chocolates and, and little packages and things like that. And I would pretend that I was a chocolatier and Bobby thinks it's the cutest thing ever. And he's like, oh my gosh, you wanted to be a chocolatier? And and uh, Aaron's like, yeah, like, <laughs> it's just really cute. And I love the pillow talk scene. It's it's very sweet. Um, but you can see in that scene that they're bonding and um, they're starting to confide in each other and get closer and, you know, it gives you all the romantic comedy vibe feels, you know. So later on, Bobby mentions that he has to go see a a prospective donor for the museum, and he is really not looking forward to it. Uh, he tells Aaron this, and he's trying to get this rich person to donate five million dollars for the museum, and he just, you know, he doesn't know how he's. He's going to approach it, but he has to go. And Aaron says that, uh, hey, I'll go with you. So Bobby and Aaron go to the this rich guy's house and they're sitting down and Bobby is uh, talking with the guy and he's just, the rich guy's like not interested. He's like, you know, these, these, this guy's here just to ask me for money, but there's nothing that... Bobby is saying that is really capturing the rich guy's attention and he gets distracted and he leaves Bobby and Aaron on the couch for a minute while he go like yells at his neighbor or something like that about blocking his view out his window and while um the rich guy's gone um Aaron and Bobby talk and Bobby's just like, I I don't think this is going to happen. I don't know what to do. And then Aaron is like kind of giving him a pep talk and he's like, you know what? Just let me, let me try it out. You know, he gives him some tips. And so he, he says that he'll, he'll kind of interject and he'll help um, Bobby and see what they can do. So the rich guy comes back. He's very dismissive. He tries to imply for them to, you know, it's time for them to leave. He's not interested in donating. And Aaron kind of saves the day. And he, you know, he's used to talking to rich people in his current job. He really helps Bobby out. And, you know, he talks with the rich guy. And, you know, the rich guy's really intrigued now. He's having more conversation. and, And Bobby kind of like catches on to how Aaron is kind of talking to him and and he starts to then be able to also participate in an effective manner with the rich guy and so um, they end up getting the donation and it's a success and they're leaving the rich guy's house Bobby is so excited and they're both just really happy about uh, uh, how successful that was. And they spend the they decide to spend the rest of the day um, with each other. They're in a different part of uh, the city on kind of it seems more like a, a coastal uh, section. And so they spend some time out on the beach and and they just, you know, they're holding hands. It's really cute. And and they're just really having fun together. I think there's a parade involved and, and uh, it's, you know, they're just having a good time. And so this next memorable scene takes place on the beach after the parade and landing the $5 million donation. Bobby talks about how confidence is a choice, but that he had to overcome a lot of people instilling doubt and low self-worth within him to keep him from pursuing his own potential and dreams. But he put his head down and just worked really hard and, quote, I just hope that somehow all these other people were wrong and they were, end quote. So he's telling Aaron, you know, because Aaron, the 
the way that this conversation was prompted is that he he is jealous of um Bobby's confidence and um so that's why Bobby is inspired to kind of share a little bit of his life and and how he navigates his own life and how he has had to be his own cheerleader and has had to push himself and believe in himself. And it seemed like he regretted finding his success a little later in life because it didn't catch up fast enough for his parents to see all the great things that have happened for him now. And I thought that was a really you know, this whole scene where Bobby is kind of opening up to Aaron, I found was really important to bring the two of them together even closer to strengthen their relationship. It's a way for them to connect on a deeper level. And we really get more information about Bobby, you know, of his past and how he sees himself and how he pushes himself. And he says another line here that I thought was uh, really important. He says, quote, confidence is just knowing you're the only person left you can count on. That's all that it is, end quote. And I thought that was really kind of telling because um, one of the themes of Bobby in this film is that he seems to have a hard time trusting people. And after the information he's given in this scene, it makes sense because there's been a lot of people he has, uh, you know, talked about or implied here that have really instilled doubt and and low self-worth. And that can lead to a place of, you know, not being able to trust other people and only relying on yourself for a lot of things. And while it's good to be self-reliant, it's also important to be able to connect with people. And I think that's what Bobby has been missing, especially in the dating world too. You can see how that translates into his dating life and and how empty it seemed to feel previously before meeting Aaron. And, you know, after he kind of has his little speech about himself, he he kind of worries. He's like, oh gosh, I think I just dropped a lot of heavy, you know, stuff on you. And he kind of comes back to himself and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot for me to like tell you all at once. And, and it's really, really cute because Aaron just, you can tell on his face that this is a moment where, you know, he really seems to fall in love with him, you know, fully and completely. And I think he was falling in love with him previously, but this kind of like hits the nail on the head kind of a thing. He's inspired by him and he kind of shuts up uh, Bobby by, you know, rushing over and, and kissing him. And, you know, showing him how much he's like, I don't care. This was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. And, you know, he kisses him right away. And uh, it's really sweet. And they hold hands some more. It's just, it's so adorable. As time goes on in the movie, Aaron has Bobby meet his parents. You can tell that Aaron's pretty nervous about it. While he's out to his parents, and his parents seem to know he's gay, he seems to worry about how Bobby's personality is going to mesh with his parents. We kind of see that internalized homophobia in Aaron kind of pop up. Like, it's implied that Aaron is thinking that, oh, you know, Bobby's going to be too gay for my parents, you know, and it's going to make them uncomfortable and... And um, that's what's kind of being implied here. And um, it's interesting to see how, you know, nervous Aaron is. And, you know, Bobby's like, it'll be fine. You know, it'll be okay. And so they end up spending the day with Aaron's parents. And Bobby is helping, uh, showing them around the city and, and pointing out important LGBTQ monuments. And, you know, he's also, he has a museum, an LGBTQ plus 
history museum. So he wants to also share that. That is a big part of his life. And, you know, Aaron is just squeamish the whole time. And and before they end up going into dinner, you know, Aaron pulls Bobby aside. He tells him, can you just not be yourself? Can you just cool it and be more, you know, reserved in a way? But uh, Bobby is really, you know, taken aback by this. He's can't believe he's just been told not to be himself for a dinner. Like, it's such a slap in the face and such an insulting thing to say. Because who are you with your partner if you're not yourself, you know? Um, and here his, you know, the person that he has is falling in love with is telling him, hey, don't be yourself. It, it's kind of a devastating moment for Bobby, although... Bobby tries to be a little bit more quieter during dinner, but it doesn't it doesn't last because you can tell that Bobby is really upset by what Aaron has asked him to do. And Bobby kind of blows up a little bit at dinner and you know, does the opposite of what Aaron asks Bobby to do. And you know, at the end of dinner, Aaron is so upset at Bobby and they're at a taxi and just Aaron is so upset and he gets in the the taxi and leaves and um, so much so that they end up breaking up and it's it's a sad moment in the movie and after the you know after the big disastrous dinner and the or the breakup with Aaron uh, Bobby begins to kind of doubt himself, which, you know, we haven't really seen in the movie. He's been a very confident person um, in the times that he maybe wasn't, you know, which is when he was trying to uh, schmooze a donor into donating uh, for his museum. You know, Aaron was there to to help him and to pick him up and, and everything like that. But for the most part, we've seen Bobby be very, very sure of himself throughout the entire movie. Very confident, very knowing of himself. And after the breakup, Bobby begins to doubt who he is and seems to feel like he can't be anything to anyone or he's just not right for anyone. He, You can tell that's kind of his thought process or that's those are the feelings he's he's kind of feeling. He starts to, he takes up using steroids to try and jack himself up because he's trying to, he's trying to become something he's not. And then with all this pressure about, you know, who am I now? Who, who do I need to be to, to be someone to somebody? He kind of ha- he has a mental breakdown at work with a, a huge blow up with his coworkers he ends up burning some bridges there. Um, and then he ends up going to the gym and he tries to pick up a guy there. But he changes his voice and he uses a deeper voice in order to uh, pick up this guy. And, uh, you know, he's talking like bro-y gym, you know, lingo. And, and he's got this deep voice put on and everything like that and he does pick up this guy but they so they after they end up having sex like he Bobby starts to talk in his normal voice and the guy's like what like he's just like so confused and he's like what what's going on and he's like oh I just tried to try something different with my voice and he's and the guy's like really creeped out about it because who who like changes their voice in order to pick you know pick up someone and he's like are you gonna murder me like in my bed is this what's gonna happen like are you a serial killer (laughs) like oh it's kind of a a funny moment but also like a significant moment because Bobby asks the guy the the gym guy he's like well would you have like slept with me and taken me home if if I had this my normal voice and the guy thinks for him and he's like yeah I probably would have which is kind of a significant thing like it kind of shows Bobby that 
hey, you know, like you don't need to try so hard and you don't need to be something you're not. You know, even the guy admitted like if you were just normal, it would have been fine (laughs) and I would have been interested. (laughs) But now you're creeping me out more and he he kicks him out of his apartment. So Bobby seems really lost and doesn't really know what direction to go in. And we have some some time has passed. He reconciles with the the people he blew up at work. And he you can tell he's starting to feel, you know, he's off of the steroids and things like that. He I think he realizes that's just not him. And I'm no, I don't know how much time has passed. You can tell that there has been some time that's passed. And he uh, makes up with his coworkers and, and things are back on track. Um, and they're planning a big event for a big opening for the LGBTQ plus um, museum uh, event. And especially with the the $5 million donation that Bobby was able to get with Aaron, they're able to do this big event. Eventually, Aaron um, starts to contact, Bobby and Aaron start to contact each other Aaron meets up with Bobby close to a park and Aaron wants to get back together. And I think Aaron realizes the mistake that he made. You know, you don't ask someone to be to not be themselves in in front of people or for anyone. And um, he realizes the harm that he did and he misses Bobby and he tells Bobby that, you know, he admires how much Bobby is not afraid to take up space in the world. And Aaron feels it's important to have a partner that challenges you. And I thought that was a a really significant line. Obviously not a direct quote, but um, um, you get the, the idea and the sentiment. And I thought that was really sweet but Bobby you know sticks up for himself and he says you know what I can't I I don't know if I could be with someone who who is embarrassed by me or is uncomfortable with me being myself and um, he leaves it at that and he continues on with his life Aaron ends up quitting his job and he starts his own he becomes a chocolatier and he starts his own chocolate shop and starts making all these custom chocolate treats and things like that. And he ends up, I believe he ends up sending some to the museum for Bobby's event. And, you know, after a lot of reflection and things like that from Bobby, he starts starts to realize that I think... And this is my impression of what he I think he's starting to realize is that, you know, they're on this journey together in life. And Aaron was in a different place than he was um, as far as his confidence level and um, with who he is. Aaron expresses himself differently than than Bobby, but he comes to realize that he still loves Aaron. And I think he sees that Aaron has has felt a lot of regret with what he said and realizes that, you know, what he did was wrong and how he has grown from the experience. He starts watching <laughs> country music on the television because they're earlier in the film he asked Aaron what his favorite musician was and he said it was Garth Brooks. <laughs> So, so Bobby was starts watching some Garth Brooks music videos and, and uh, Bobby used to, to sing a lot previously. And that was one of the details that they learned about each other. Aaron wanted to be a chocolatier and like, <laughs> and favorite musician is Garth Brooks and Bobby uh, can sing and so Bobby ends up writing this song inspired by uh, country music. So it has like a country twang to it. But he writes the song for Aaron and he ends up inviting Aaron to 
the grand opening of the museum and the, and the grand exhibit. And, um, you know, you can tell like Aaron's still hung up on Bobby. And then when he finally texts him, he's just like, you know, he thought it was over. And then, um, Bobby messages him and he is so pumped. He ends up going to the event and there's this super sweet moment at the end where Aaron's in the crowd. Bobby is on stage, you know, presenting the event and and for the museum and, and talking about how significant the museum is to culture and things like that. And that he has prepared a little something and he there's this great um moment at the end where Bobby sings his song and obviously it's directly to to Aaron like he's looking at Aaron the entire time and I have to say like for a movie a made for movie song it is a really good song like I'm wondering if it's on iTunes because I kind of want to download it. It was a really good song. It's got that, you know, country inspired twang to it. But um, Billy Eichner is a really great singer, I have to say. But anyways, so yeah, super sweet moment at the end, guys, you really should see it. I got all the feels. It was really uh, made me smile. And you know, they kiss at the end. And and they're really sweet to each other and say a bunch of sweet things. And and so we end up fast forwarding three months later. And Aaron's mother ends up bringing her second grade class to the LGBTQ plus museum of Bobby's. And that was one of the conversations that they kind of had uh, in one of the disagreements they had during dinner is that the mother didn't feel as though that was that kind of history was appropriate for second graders and and Bobby was um talking about how he felt it was and he was talking about his own experiences when he was a, a kid growing up and how he thought it was important to be exposed to historical um LGBTQ plus uh things and so it's really significant at the end of the movie you know, when it's been three months later, their relationship is still going strong. They're still super cute together. Um, Aaron's mother brings her second grade class to the museum. And it's just a really great ending. I really love the movie, as I mentioned already a couple times. You should definitely check it out. And, you know, I was reading some things in preparing for uh, talking about this. I was sad to hear that it didn't do as well in the theaters as it was expected to. I think it had a pretty hefty um, promotional budget and along with the budget of the film. um, But it, it didn't do well at the box office. And I remember hearing that Billy Eichner was really disappointed and he said that he felt as though straight people didn't show up for the film as he thought that they would and that just made me really sad and yeah I felt really sad and and I I didn't make it to the theater <laughs> either so I I I feel bad that I didn't <laughs> because it is a really great film and I highly urge everyone to see it. It's uh, uh, It just has so many sweet moments, so many funny moments, and um, some great learning moments. But I think, again, theaters are pretty tricky these days in general, and I think we've talked about this in some of the previous episodes of Film Folly, where, you know, people's movie-going experience is, is different um, when it comes to theaters. And while I I agree with um, Billy Eichner, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of straight people didn't show up when they should have to this film. Um, I think it is definitely that, but I also feel as though it's hard to get people into the theaters, especially for rom-coms or even comedies in general. I think people are used to them being streamed online and 
it seems as though, especially with John Wick uh, Chapter 4 coming out uh, this past week, and how big of a blowout that was, like, that was, it made, like, 75 million opening weekend um, domestic, you know, in the U.S., and... So it was really, I think I read it's the biggest opening for any of the John Wick films. And again, it's an action movie. And I think people are really choosing these Marvel movies, action movies, um, adventure movies, anything that's really cinematic, immersive, action-packed, you know, those kinds of films are what people seem to be choosing to go to in theaters as opposed to some of the more introspective movies or the art house movies or uh, romantic comedies or just comedies in general, family comedies, you know, those kinds of things. Um, people seem to, at least from my observation, seem to just be willing to see those at home and then save their money for some of the really big cinematic kind of popcorn movies and you know that makes me sad because I grew up watching all kinds of movies in the theaters and I do kind of wish to to get back to that because I think there's a lot of value in seeing any film in the theater especially romantic comedies and all kinds of you know I remember seeing um and I think I've mentioned this previously in one of the Film Folly episodes is I remember seeing um, Silver Linings Playbook and, you know, that's a romantic comedy or romantic drama, however you'd like to categorize that. And, you know, I think if that was released today, I don't think it would do very well in the theaters. Um, I don't know what it its numbers or stats for for box office were when it did come out. But uh, if it was released during this time, I don't think that one would have been done very good in, in the box office either. So it's an interesting world we live in as far as as far as movies go and what people are choosing to see in theaters and what they're not, what they're waiting for as far as streaming or things like that. So... Anywho, as far as the Rotten Tomatoes review of this film, I think uh, critics, it looks like, gave it an 89% for bros, and audiences uh, gave it a 90%. And I definitely agree with with the audiences on this one. I think it definitely deserves uh, a 90s um, percentage. You know, it was really... Is really a great film. I would definitely rewatch it for sure. <laughs> I'd recommend it to friends. I'd re- I'd recommend it to anyone, really. So please do check it out. I hope you watch the film before listening to this. But even if you listen to this first, there are so many scenes I didn't mention in the podcast today. And it'll make you laugh. It'll make you get all the warm and fuzzy feelings and you really should check out the entire movie and now it's time for hollywood news about a few movies and a television show that's in production. And the first one I have here is, uh, and I was kind of surprised about this one. I didn't realize that they were going to be making a second movie, but Gladiator 2 is in production and Denzel Washington and Ridley Scott are set to reunite to close a deal on Gladiator 2. And this article comes from Entertainment Weekly, and it was originally released March 17th of this year. And as always, I will always have the links in the the episode description. So if you want to check out the entire article, please do so. 
So Denzel Washington is in final negotiations for the movie in a role that's being kept securely under wraps. This casting marks an American gangster reunion of sorts as filmmaker Ridley Scott, who directed Washington in the 2007 drama Wilhelm Gladiator 2. Paul Mescal will play Lucius, the son of Connie Nielsen's Lucilla and nephew to Joaquin Phoenix's Commodus from the original Gladiator, which was released in 2000. During the events of that movie, Russell Crowe's Maximus baited Commodus into the Colosseum arena and killed him. Though Maximus also died from wounds he sustained, he had a tremendous impact on young Lucius, played as a child by Spencer Trek Clark. Barry Coggan, nominated for this year's Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his performance in The Banshees of Inner Sharon, is also joining the cast of Gladiator 2 as Emperor Gita. And the Gladiator sequel, with a script written by David Scarpa, is scheduled to hit theaters November 22nd of 2024. So that's really interesting to me. I'm wondering if Denzel Washington is actually just, you know, responsible for producing this film and um, being a creator of this uh, second Gladiator film. Uh, I'm curious if he's going to actually have a role in the film. That would be really great to see. Um, but yeah, uh, more information to come, but I was very surprised that they were going to make a gladiator too. So more to come on that. And some other news of more films to add to the uh, series, there will be a Hunger Games prequel called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And this article that I found the information is also from Entertainment Weekly, originally posted October 23rd of 2022, but I just happened upon this information recently. So uh, apparently it's been out there, but uh, I haven't actually heard a lot of chitter chatter about it. So um, it was news to me, even though this article is about six months old. Um <laughs> uh, So, what we know so far, according to this article, the prequel to the original film series called Ballad of Songbird and Snakes tells the story of a teenage Carolanus Snow, played by Donald Sutherland in the original movie, before he became the authoritarian president of Pan Am. The story takes place around the 10th annual Hunger Games, and Snow is picked to be a mentor to Lucy Gray Baird, a young female tribute from the impoverished District 12. Quote, but after Lucy Gray commands all of Pan Am's attention by defiantly singing during the reaping ceremony, Snow thinks he might be able to turn the odds in their favor, end quote. According to a synopsis from the studio, quote, Uniting their instincts from snowmanship and newfound political savvy, Snow and Lucy's race against time to survive will ultimately reveal who is a songbird and who is a snake. And as far as who is directing, writing, and producing, Francis Lawrence, no relation to Jennifer Lawrence, who helmed Catching Fire, Mockingjay Part 1, and Mockingjay Part 2, will return to direct and produce the prequel. Nina Jacobson and Brad Simpson are also returning as producers. Collins, Tim Pallon, and Jim Miller will executive produce the film, which features a screenplay by Assassin's Creed writer Michael Leslie. And as far as who has been cast so far, Tom Blythe, who was in Billy the Kid and The Golden Age, has been cast as the young Carolinus Snow, while Rachel Zegler, who was in West Side Story, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, will also play Lucy Gray Baird. Zegler's West Side Story co-star Josh Andreas Rivera has also been tapped to play Snow's friend, Sejanus Plinth, while Euphoria Breakout, Hunter Schaefer has been cast as Tigris, who is Carolinus's cousin and confidant. A prized capital stylist, Tigris was portrayed by Eugenie Bondurant in the original franchise. She is revealed to be Snow's cousin in the prequel. 
Viola Davis will play Volumnia Gall, the villainous head game maker of the 10th Annual Hunger Games. A scientist and instructor at the university, Volumnia is also the mastermind behind the Capitol's Experimental Weapons Division. Elsewhere, Peter Dinklage will play Casa Highbottom, the dean of the academy and unintentional creator of the Hunger Games. So as far as its theatrical debut, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is scheduled to hit theaters worldwide on November 17th, 2023, which I'm kind of surprised. I haven't personally seen any any hype about this prequel, really no previews or trailers or anything like that about it. Uh, I just happened upon this article, and I'm I'm surprised they're not already starting to promote this this film a little bit more heavily. But you know the holidays are um, a, a ways out. We aren't even to summer yet, so I could be jumping the gun on that. But one last detail about this prequel for the Hunger Games is that. Um, I guess there's questions as far as will there be any returning cast members from the original trilogy? And apparently it's currently unclear whether any of the original cast members, such as Liam Hensworth, Woody Harrelson, Elizabeth Banks, Stanley Tucci, Lenny Kravitz, with all of them it's unclear whether or not um, there will be anyone returning. But it seems unlikely given that Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes takes place more than six decades before the original films. Okay, this next article that I happen to come across, which is from Variety, and they um, published this article on April 3rd of this year. And the headline is, Warner Brothers looks to close deal for Harry Potter HBO Max series. I know this will make a lot of people happy. There's a lot of um, Harry Potter heads out there. (laughs) Warner Brothers Discovery is looking to close a deal to produce a Harry Potter television series. And the series looks to be directly based on J.K. Rowling's best-selling book series rather than an in-universe spinoff such as the Fantastic Beasts films. Each season would reportedly draw from one of the books, suggesting an ongoing franchise that would stretch for years for the studio. But as of so far, uh, HBO Max uh, spokespeople have not made any public comments about the subject, so it's still very hush-hush. But so far, what we know under the deal that's on the table right now is that Rowling would maintain a degree of creative involvement with the series, though she would not serve as primary creator or showrunner. Sources close to the situation suggest that talks between Warner Brothers Discovery and Rowling's camp remain in a preliminary state. The studio is looking to house the series under its streaming banner, HBO Max, soon to be combined with Discovery Plus and rebranded under a new name. Even with the original book and film series having long concluded, the property has remained a dominant culture force, sprawling theme park attractions and spin-off film series such as Fantastic Beasts, a hit Broadway production, in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and the recent hit video game Hogwarts Legacy. So that's all I know so far. It sounds like a lot of things are in the talks and things are being negotiated in real time as of this recording. So as far as Harry Potter goes, you know, we will get more information um, hopefully here very soon. And I'll, I'll let you know what I find out. And my last article for today's episode comes from CBS News, um, and this was published on their website on March 30th of this year, and it talks about the layoffs with uh, Disney and how that relates to CEO Bob Iger and information about that. And I thought this was really interesting how they're um, doing their restructuring and be interesting to get your guys's opinion and what you how you feel about uh these this restructuring and if you guys have any thoughts on that 
but CEO Bob Iger confirms in a staff email that the first round of layoffs have begun. Disney plans to slash 7,000 jobs in three waves. The second round is this month in April, and then the final round will be at the beginning of the summer. The layoffs are part of Disney's quote-unquote cost-saving measures that will create a quote, streamlined approach to our business, end quote, uh, Iger says. Company officials said that the job cuts, which represent roughly 3% of Disney's global workforce of 220,000, will save Disney roughly $5.5 billion. And here is a quote from Disney saying, quote, In tough moments, we must always do what is required to ensure Disney can continue delivering exceptional entertainment to audiences and guests around the world, now and long into the future, end quote. And unfortunately, the last few years have been pretty tough on Disney. They lost billions of dollars in the early years of the pandemic when it had to close amusement parks and halts in-person production of movies and TV shows. The parks reopened in April 2021, helping to recoup some of those losses as Disney raised admission prices for the Magic Kingdom, Epcot Center, and Hollywood Studios. The first round of layoffs have centered mostly on Disney's television production and acquisitions departments, according to The Hollywood Reporter. More recently, however, Disney's growth has dragged because of its enormous investments in streaming, including its flagship Disney Plus platform. Although the company has quickly become a major player in the fiercely competitive online video business, amassing 235 million paid subscribers across Disney+, Hulu, and ESPN+, the high cost of producing content has left its streaming assets deep in the red. The company reported a $1 billion loss in its direct-to-consumer arm during the first quarter of 2023. Disney competes with Apple, Amazon, Comcast, Netflix, Paramount, and other streaming services in what is an increasingly crowded market. Disney CEO Bob Iger told employees in November during a town hall meeting that one way to make streaming profitable is to stop chasing subscribers and spending heavily on marketing and instead take a, quote, a very, very hard look at our our cost structure across our businesses, end quote. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how, whether it will help or hinder uh, Disney, and it'll be interesting to see if they start increasing profits or not, and um, whether or not this will be a good change for them. Um, you know, sadly, many, many people are losing their jobs. You know, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. And I have to really give a big, huge thanks to you guys, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it so much. As I mentioned before, I'm an independent podcaster, so I'm learning every day. Um, And I really just appreciate your support and love. And please, please, if you feel so kind and gracious, please um, review and subscribe uh, to the podcast. If you love it, please give it a five-star review. That would help me so much in getting the podcast out there uh, and for other people to enjoy so they can find it. Please also consider uh, following Film Folly Podcast at uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's just at Film Folly Podcast. And you can also, I now have a Twitter account. You can follow Film Folly at Film Folly Pod. You can comment on any of those platforms if you want to give your opinion about the show or something I've talked about during the show. And I can also bring those up during um, one of my episodes for Film Folly. But as always, you can email me either a voice memo or an email and just send those to filmfollypodcast at gmail.com. And before I let you go for today, I wanted to let you know that next week I'll be talking about John Wick Chapter 4. 
I saw this in IRL <laughs> in real life at the theaters and I wanted to talk about it. I thought it was great and it was fun. A surprise ending I was not expecting and I wanted to give you guys a heads up um, before I talk about it because as always with every episode of Film Folly there are spoilers and so I would love you to watch the movie first. If you're a person who doesn't mind spoilers then by all means but uh, as always, I wanted to give you a heads up. So if you're wanting to catch up on uh, some of the John Wick movies, I have found that all of them are posted on Peacock. And so if you wanted to have a John Wick marathon and, and get uh, refreshed for uh, chapter four, go ahead and check out those previous John Wick films at uh, the Peacock platform. And once again, thank you so much. I will talk to you next week. Take care.